I'm Alexis Williams, your grief recovery specialist, and this is the Grief Recovery Collective, a community where we have conversations with insightful, thoughtful, thought-provoking authors, speakers, experts, and people just like you and me about loss, grief, spirituality, and well-being. Join me today and learn more about grief recovery and how you can find more presence, purpose, and peace after loss. So here we go, episode one of the Grief Recovery Collective, and I'm Alexis, your host, and I'm so, so honored, and I can't even tell you, I've known Ken since I was actually 24 years old is when I first met you, Ken, so long ago in Encinitas, and he helped me at that time. I was a young married girl, and I had hit a little bump in the road with my marriage. Ken was there, and and he helped me out through a piece of that. And now many, many years later, I'm actually almost 62. Can you believe it? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Here we are. And it's such an amazing, wonderful honor, once again, to have Ken here. So I'll let you know a little bit about Ken. And Ken is an internationally known expert in overcoming adversity, healing after loss, resilience, compassionate self-care, and family psychology a best-selling author, executive coach, consultant, prolific speaker and recipient of the Distinguished Contribution to Psychology Award. And Dr. Ken is a regular guest on CNN, PBS specials, and network news. To honor his daughter, Jenna's life and spirit, Ken founded the Jenna Drug Center in 1996 and has been a lifeline for countless individuals, families, organizations, and communities in the aftermath of tragedies, including 9-11, Columbine, Sandy Hook, and most recently, the coronavirus epidemic. Ken's life, work, and courageous living, and his book, The Real Rules of Life, show us how to turn life's adversities into opportunities and become the better version of ourselves. Published worldwide, including recent bestsellers, Courageous Aging and Raising an Aging Parent, his works is featured regularly in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post, MariaSchreiber.com, and The Hill. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Ken Druck. Thank you so much, Ken. So much for that beautiful introduction. What I thought would be great for this show today, since it's episode one, I know with my working with people that are entering uh, the processing of grief, so often they share that they just they just don't know what to do or how to manage grief. And it's, it's this new unknown for them. And what Ken will share with us today are these amazing six honorings that he has used throughout his work. And um, I'll just hand it over to you, Ken, because nothing more needs to be said. Well, you chose when I said, Alexis, how can I, what do you think would be most relevant and helpful to your audience? You said, Ken, I think the six honorings, really, they're kind of a roadmap for how we go on, even with a hole in our heart, you know, even with, uh, I tell people, I walk with a limp in my heart. My oldest daughter was killed at age 21. There's no kind of getting over that or around that, or that's just part of me, part of my life. It's part of my history. And there's no goal that we have to get over it. 
that we're a better person. There's the constant processing of what we've gone through. And it has different, in different seasons of life, it shows up and appears and calls to me and calls to everybody who's grieving to listen to what our heart is saying to us. You know, our hearts either break open. There's no doubt that our hearts break when we've suffered a loss. Anybody who's listening knows my heart is broken. Don't try to put a spin on that. Don't try to give me some psychological or spiritual or any kind of spin. My heart is broken. And we don't get to choose that it's broken. We've loved, we've taken somebody deeply into our hearts and our hearts have been broken. But whether they're broken open and we become the expanded version of ourselves in that holy brokenness or whether our hearts are broken closed and we contract around our pain and we become the smaller version of ourselves under the illusion that we can, it's, we're going to protect ourselves from now on. We're not going to get hurt again because we've suffered so deeply. So the six honorings are really a roadmap for a heart broken open. And it begins with the simplest idea. The first honoring is our own survival. It's that we survive, that somehow we find a path to go forward and to move on in our lives, to live out the rest of our time in a way that's meaningful and purposeful. So survival is the first honoring. And survival means that we incorporate a level of self-care, of self-healing, of self-awareness that maybe we've never had to, to incorporate. It means that we recognize that we are on the medical equivalent would be into, to be in the ICU on life support. When we look at somebody who's grieving, we don't see them bleeding or signs. We, we see a deep sense of sorrow in their eyes. And we see that there, there's a weight on their heart or a brokenness or a sense of lostness because they're standing in the ashes of plan A, of, of what they had dreamt and worked for. So surviving means taking care of ourselves. It means instead of treating ourselves with criticism, admonishing ourselves, you're grieving. What are people going to think about you? Look at you. You're pathetic. You're weak. You're broken. You're lost. You can't concentrate. You know, you're worthless. Let's hang you out on the 99 cent rack. Instead of diminishing ourselves, we put our hand on our heart. We show ourselves even greater kindness and patience, encouragement, support, love, understanding, and show ourselves perspective. We begin to expand our sense of, oh, my God, things like this happen in the world. And no, it's not fair. But we, on that trip to the bottom of pain, we also have the opportunity to develop compassion we understand the suffering of other people. My God, we start getting calls months later because somebody we know has suffered the same kind of a loss. They're going through a divorce. They've lost an aging parent or in horrific cases, they've lost a child or they've lost their job or they've lost their life as they knew it because they're sheltering, they're quarantined in, in the COVID era of COVID and of the pandemic. So survival is really 
turning our attention. It's taking our foot off of our throat and putting our hand on our heart, showing ourselves kindness. And it's becoming more and more aware of what self-care is, of how we can really hold ourselves in a caring, loving, supportive, patient, understanding way and with humility. The second honoring is to do something good in their name. How do we take our brokenness, our lostness, and honor the life and spirit and celebrate the person that we've lost? Well, we do it in one way by doing something good in their name. That might only be to take a candle. We have our candle and we burn a candle. That's enough. There's no contest here. I was a maniac. After Jenna died, my daughter Jenna died, I started a nonprofit foundation to help families who also had suffered the loss of a child. And I spent almost 20 years doing that. So we can do something good in their name. It can be as simple as lighting a candle, saying a prayer. It can be as simple as sending $100 or $10 to a cause that they loved or some cause that was associated with their death. You could send it, to, if, if it was cancer, to the American Cancer Society or the Heart, Heart Association. Or, and if it's something, uh, or to their school that they went to, to support, maybe they were an athlete and you want to support in their name, young athletes. So it's doing something good in their name on whatever level and whatever ability you have to do that. And it could just be holding your hand on your heart and loving them, the love that never dies. But do something good in their name. The third honoring, and we kind of touched on it a little bit before, Alexis, that is to begin to develop a spiritual relationship with them. In the case of, of, of somebody, we've suffered a living loss. A spiritual relationship is not that you adopt some belief system that you are 100% certain that we all reincarnate or that we go to heaven or that this happens or that happens. We don't have to be, this is not a game of certainty. It's a game of faith. It's what we hope for most in our heart. It's what we choose to believe in and hold in faith. Now I hold in faith every day when I tell my daughter, Jenna, I tell both my daughters, but I tell my daughter, Jenna, I love you. I speak it into the universe with all of my heart in hopes that there is some way that this love translates through the ethers, through the veil, through whatever this life and death is, this greater mystery that's greater than my ability to understand, this great beyond that I both send love and I allow myself to feel the love of my daughter. You imagine if she was trying to tell me, Daddy, I love you every day. And I'm so arrogant and convinced of what reality is that it's like, eh, you know, I'm just hallucinating. I need to be defrocked or excommunicated or, or whatever or thrown out of the tribe. No, I hold that in faith. And so I believe that there is a love that never dies and that we can express it by cultivating a spiritual relationship with the people who 
have died that we love, that we will love forever and hold in our hearts forever. The fourth honoring is to embody some aspect of their essence. My daughter had an enthusiasm for this life and a love and a playfulness and an irreverence that was amazing. And she also believed that she could do anything. She infiltrated at age 20 MTV because she hated the messaging about women. And she said, Dad, I'm going to go into MTV. I'm going to get a job there. And I am going to change the messaging about women. It's horrible. What did she do? She got a job with MTV. She worked for MTV right through her last days. And she did. They dedicated that whole season. The MTV Beach House in Malibu, they dedicated that season to Jenna. Because she did, she had this amazing vision for how the girls especially could become the better, stronger, more whole version of themselves and not spend so much time. Boys on the side. And let's not beat each other up. No more mean girls and no more mean to ourselves. And that's the way she believed she could change adolescents and girls' lives. So at the Jenna Druck Center, when she died, I took her program for girls called Young Women's Leadership. And we, we had over 18,000 girls go through that. Wow. So doing something, embodying some aspect of their essence is critically, critically important. And pick whatever it is. It could be their kindness, their love of animals, their sense of humor, their silliness and lightheartedness and playfulness, their deep faith and reverence. It could be anything. But embody it. Become more of that, of that yourself when you grow up and as you grow up and as you ripen as a human being. Fifth honoring has to do with our relationships. You know, when Jenna died, I was terrible. I was awful to be around. The first time I ever was able to go out to a a grocery store, the poor little girl at the checkout stand said, oh, have a wonderful day. And I said, I'm sure I'll have a nice day. My daughter just was just killed. I bit her nose off. In the rawness of grief, bad things can happen. We can be mean and insensitive to other people. In the rawness of grief, Families tear apart. This happened after 9-11. The average age of the person who died after 9-11 was 38. They had a a young family often and aging parents. And families started tearing apart. Well, my son, well, he's my husband. And you're never going to see your grandkids again. Well, the hell with you. And, you know, the rawness of grief is when families either tear apart or come together and turn the page and begin a whole new chapter, a beautiful and loving chapter of life. And so it's critically important that we do something. I started a program in New York after 9-11 called Take the High Road. Don't bite in the rawness of your grief. Don't bite people's noses off. Treat the people in your family and around you as an expression of your love for the person you've lost. That's the way you want to treat them. Have it be an expression. Be patient. Be understanding. We live in a grief illiterate culture where people aren't sensitive. People are going to say stupid things. People are going to not be sensitive or understanding. They're going to try to figure out and fix you. Oh, here, why don't you just try this? 
or do all these six honorings, it'll all go away. <laughs> you know, that's not what it's about. So taking the high road in our relationships, understanding that probably before our tragic loss, we were as clueless as the people that are saying insensitive things to us, even stupid things to us, because they just don't know better. They haven't been there. Okay. That we used to have a, a saying in the Jenna Drug Center, compassion is your pain in my heart. Compassion is your joy in my heart or my joy in your heart. So we want to practice all the elements of compassion and we want to summon newfound courage. And that courage is embodied in the sixth honoring, which is write new chapters of life. And by the way, for those people who are trying to write all this down, you can go to my website and it, all these things are written down. You don't have to try to write things down or memorize them. And Alexis is going to give that to you later. But the sixth honoring is one of the most difficult because it invites us to begin writing new chapters of life, begin making new memories, to turn the page on this sorrowful chapter of our lives, to hold it, to bless it, to know that it has been precious, to express all the gratitude in our heart, and to continue to allow ourselves to express that gratitude, to continue to allow ourselves to express the sorrow in all of its new iterations over as much time as it takes, perhaps for the rest of our lives, to give sorrow a voice and a safe place to proclaim itself. But when we write new chapters of life, sometimes we feel guilty, like, oh, my God, how can I go on? How can I dare enjoy another meal, another, a, song, a new song? How can I go on with my own life? And often we feel like we have to deny ourselves pressure. We live in the torture chamber of guilt where we deny ourselves permission to ever have joy again. And yet one of the greatest ways we honor them is to allow beauty and joyfulness and wonder and newfound discovery to have their expression as we live out our lives. And so the sixth honoring of write new chapters means that we allow ourselves to go on with life. And I imagine when I do write a new book or something wonderful happens or I finish our interview today, you know, I'm going to kind of wink, look over and wink at Jenna because I share my joy. I share my accomplishments with both of my daughters, my earth daughter who lives here in Del Mar and my angel daughter who's everywhere. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for that. It touches me so much. I'm actually like still with you on this. I need to come back to us here on this podcast. As Ken said, I'll be able to share how you can actually see his work on his website. I'll have it in the show notes at the end and you can see what he's doing and what he's up to and how he can help. Ken, with that being said, I'm curious with our current time with the pandemic, with the challenge with people having going through grief on the more subtle levels, you know, the, the loss of freedom or you know, just connecting with people and all of this. How are you suggesting people might work through some of that? Such an important subject. 
that not many people are aware of or bringing up. It's so critically important because people are having all these feelings, mm -hmm. all these emotions that they're not, it's like, where did that come from? I haven't felt that one before. Mm -hmm. And often it's so tied to our sense of loss mm -hmm. that we've been displaced, that we're, we're grieving the loss of our pre-COVID lives. Mm -hmm. And whether that's that we've, we're having to learn how to work in a different way, we're having to learn how to love in a different way, we're learn, having to learn how to support one another in a different way. I can't tell you how many families I, I've been helping who didn't even get to be with their loved one at the end of their life because of COVID. They couldn't go to the hospital or they didn't go to the hospital because it would have prevented them from being with their loved one during those final days. So whether it has to do with work, our relationships, our world, we're used to being able to go out into our ability to travel and move freely, our ability to go into a supermarket, our consciousness about our own vulnerability. My God, how many of us have ever had to experience the, the fact that we are one droplet away from contracting a disease, a virus that could kill us? Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm personally getting sick of all these announcements that, you know, if you're over 65, then you're really screwed. You know, you really got to be careful. Somebody could breathe on you and that's the end. You're going to go, you'll be in a ventilator a week later. So a scary, disorienting, confusing time. And to watch our world, we've also lost that sense of security in the way the world is working. Our confidence, many of us, myself included, have really lost confidence. Isn't the government, our executive offices and our Congress supposed to, isn't there supposed to be an adult in the room, you know, making a plan and providing resources and a sense of security and protection at times like this? So I think we're also suffering the loss of sense of security that those leaders in charge, whether they're in our community whether they're in the clinic down the street, whether they're in Washington, D.C., or in our state capital of our, wherever we live, that leaders, not all leaders, know what the hell they're doing or how to respond at a time where we have to rewrite the playbook. And so that loss of confidence, many of us are grieving that and grasping for people who have certainty and are promoting certain solutions and Oh, we're going to have this. And, you know, we can't hear that. That's only making us more insecure because it ends up not being true. There is a loss of trust as well that's occurring. And I think, you know, it, it's allowing the other side of it is that it's giving us a real different perspective on this ride called life. Some of us are harvesting newfound opportunities. We have found time. <laughs> Well, what am I going to do with all this found time? I've got extra time. Hey, you know, that, that closet that I haven't cleaned out, those letters I haven't written, those I love yous that I've left unspoken, you know, those thank yous that I've left un, ungiven. We're doing important things with found time. So our sense of loss is being countered by our sense of gain, of newfound freedom, of creativity, 
of self-health as we protect ourselves, as we really discipline ourselves to wear a mask or to socially distance, and we make good decisions and we protect the people we love. It's not always just about us. So there are opportunity, there's an opportunity side. My branding for over the years has been transforming adversity into opportunity. So there's an opportunity side to what's going on in, in this COVID world that we're living. And, and my hope and prayer is that we come out of it with a vaccine, but more than a vaccine, a, an emotional and spiritual vaccine, that life has been put into finer perspective. Mm-hmm. For those people who've suffered losses, whether it's the over 10 million who've lost their jobs, whether it's the 230,000 people who've lost their lives, whether it's people who've been displaced from their homes because they, they lost their job and they can't pay their rent, that we have become a more compassionate individual, community, and society and world, understanding that maybe there's enough to share that we don't have to keep living in scarcity and greed and that we can lift people up with our heart of generosity and our newfound compassion. I love what you just said, Ken. Um, such a big piece of what I work with is compassion and self-compassion. It's just beautiful what you just said. For me, what has been so challenging with this time is I just took a huge a life change, uh, getting a divorce late in life and wanting a new career and everything. And then everything was halted with this pandemic, meaning I'm not meeting people or anything. And I know I've struggled myself with working through this process of mostly not having humans around through this newfound time in my life where I really, really was up for connecting with a lot of people. And what I found so valuable is is just discovering my inner resources and resilience and uh, not underplaying how much we all really do have and it comes in the, the smallest of ways. It's usually in baby steps, just asking what I need in, an, in a simple moment. And I'm, I'm strengthened by actually addressing what I'm needing and taking action. And that's what I love what you stand for, Ken, is taking action in the world. That's a, so, so important for all of us, whether it's small or big, is to get into some form of action and embody this compassion and then share and connect so thank you so much. You're so welcome. And we yeah. also need to keep our lightheartedness to balance it all out. You know, you haven't seen me in a while. You haven't seen my <laughs> COVID beard. Most popular blog that I wrote was my COVID beard. Oh, my gosh. About the fact that I haven't gotten a haircut. <laughs> Let me see yeah. that hair, Ken. Turn oh, it on. I've got it tied in up. But I haven't cut my hair in five months. I kind of look like the 20-year-old version of me. When I was a rock and roll drummer, except the <laughs> hair is gray now. Oh my gosh! It looks amazing. It's spectacular. Listen, I'm I'm so honored to have launched this wonderful series. Your contribution to the world has been and will continue to be, and has just really begun in this new chapter and new phase and these new chapters of life that you're writing. And I'm just so honored to be a part of it. Ah, Ken, thank you so, so much. And I look forward to seeing you at Torrey Pines on the Hill sometime soon when we can all be together again. You got it. Thank you, Ken. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Grief Recovery Collective. 
If you've enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, or if you would like to learn more about the grief recovery method, coaching, or meditation, you can reach me directly at alexiskcoaching at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.